This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential neighborhood. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PEPCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 38 of 2022, and happy birthday to you. Statistically, the most birthdays happen between September 13th and September 23rd. You can do the reverse math to find out why. Also, happy pumpkin spice season. Fall is right around the corner. And with me, I have my co-host Brian Deach, who shares a birthday with Jennifer Lopez and is not in the month of September. Oh, you were paying attention. I also share a birthday with Carl Malone. So fun fact about that. So what's the reverse math on September 13th and 23rd? Is that like Valentine's Day? Christmas Day? Easter? Christmas slash New Year's. So Groundhog I'm, days. Yep. Spoiler yep. alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, no Glenn this week. He's currently driving across Dallas, but he should be back next week. This week's guest is Michael Schwinnard. Michael joined me on the Zscaler World Tour. Michael, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Chris. Um, so, Michael Schwinnard. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm a Zscaler employee, obviously, if I uh, joined you on our lovely world tour to Chicago and Prague and Bangkok and all the airports in between. Um, I've been with Zscaler for about a year, and my role, I am a technical enablement demo architect, which means I, uh, I hang out at my desk most of the time, and I build lab guides. I manage our demo environments. Uh, I make sure that the SEs out there in the world have the tools they need to show all our cool software. You are doing literally the God, God's work. Thank you very much I for mean, that. It's a lot, man. I appreciate it. I like to think I'm doing something good and useful. I mean, you're a it sicko is. for wanting to do documentation. <laughs> I don't understand that. But it is greatly uh, appreciated. And it is, it's not an easy thing. Back in the day at F5, we used to do like lab guides for agility. And we, like, we were responsible for setting it up and then for the partners and the users to come in and do it. And you'd have to write the lab guides. And I remember just thinking, I hate everything about this. There's nothing fun about it at all. I, I The worst part is just, you know, putting screenshots in for you fools that need to be able to sh see what it's supposed to be, look like. For Otherwise, visual writing people. Piece, like, yeah, writing, writing it's kind of kind of fun for me. I like to put a little bit of myself into it. So, Do you use, uh, I use Sketch, I think, on Mac for when I'm taking the screenshots because then I can annotate it and do cool things to make it kind of pop. What do you use? I definitely need to find a better tool because I'm just using the, the snipping tool in Windows, which isn't ideal step one get a mac have to go and edit it up so. yeah. <laughs> unless there's sketch for windows i have no idea no sketch is mac only oh, okay. there's there's the paid one uh clip it's called clip me or clip i'll have to look it up but there's a pretty good snipping tool it's paid though but there's also windows. one I mean, called clippy it's like little uh little paper clip clippy's dead little paper clip clippy's dead <laughs> clippy's clippy's retired you just got to find a system gone. that supports it <laughs> Hey, I it looks like you're writing a letter. I know where to get something. All right. Well, combined, we have decades of information security experience. And here, not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Closing the loop this week. Yes, there is country music at Burning Man. So a fan of the show messaged Brian to let him know that his favorite genre of music is indeed available if he ever goes to Burning Man. Yes, Scotty Tuhati, that's his code name. Thank you very much for, for letting us know. Now I have a valid reason to go to Burning Man. 
country music. Yeah. Michael, have you been? I, I was wondering. No, I've never been. I was listening to that episode and I, I was just curious as you. Is there country music? I'm kind of surprised. And I'm going to throw a wrench in it. Now, is there anyone that does like old Christian hymns at Burning Man? If, then you got me. Just kidding. I'm not going to go for that. Not in a million right, years. This is, is going to be a perpetual closing the loop topic, apparently. <laughs> Uh, the French hospital we talked about last week that suffered a ransomware attack, they are doing the right thing and refusing to pay the ransom. The ransomware gang offered to lower the ransom from $10 million to $1 million, but the hospital is still holding strong and refusing to pay. The hospitals fired up the old sneaker net and are hand-delivering handwritten notes and files burned to writable DVDs. So somebody call my old employer. People are still actually using tape and optical media. That's crazy. They don't negotiate with terrorists. Taking a play playbook line out of our book. Yep. I like it. I like that they're sticking to their guns. I can't even remember the last time I burned a DVD. I don't have an optical drive. Yeah, I actually bought an autographed CD like in the last six months, and they arrived. And the whole reason was I didn't really care about the autograph, but it had four songs on there that were not released on the digital. And then I got it home. I was like, Excuse my language. I don't know where how to even play this. I don't have a car that has a CD-ROM. Anything. <laughs> I ended up listening to it on the Xbox because I still had that. Okay, it took a while to think about. There you uh, go. Yeah. Windows Media you, Player. Like it was disgusting. Find a way you make one. Yeah. Our last closing the loop feedback deals with Tornado Cash, the cryptocurrency mixing service used by North Korea and other ransomware groups to launder their money. Six plaintiffs in the U.S. and the cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase have filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Treasury Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, to overturn the sanctioning of Tornado Cash. This one is a head-scratcher for me. I don't know what Coinbase's skin in the game is of why they think Tornado Cash should be unsanctioned. I just love the acronym there. No, the initialism, OFAC. That sounds like OFAC. something else, but OFAC. I have too much history with OFAC, being that I used to work at a credit union. Ah, um, yeah, the financial I, industry, I, yep. Yep, yep, but uh, I don't know. So actually, this was not the... <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually not the last clue. We actually have uh, two more. Uh, another oh MFA Shut bombing up. attack successfully breaches a company, but more on that in story number four, so stay tuned. And the last one is, I interviewed another candidate here, and they mentioned they listened to the podcast to research me before the interview. So shout out to you. You know who you are. Like Brian said, flattery works, but also shows a willingness to do more. I hope you subscribed and still listening to this. It's kind of cool. One time. Yeah, it's kind of cool that like, I mean, there really is no association between our, our podcast and the company that we work for. So they must have found out that they're interviewing with Chris, and so they probably went on LinkedIn. They did some type of due diligence to figure out what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. Is that how you came people. across it? Yeah, I think so. It just goes to show that some of these candidates go the extra mile once they know they're talking to me. They research me, and then they find out I have a podcast. Hey, whatever happened to that that one young lady you were interviewing for an SC position that had like an incredible like TikTok or YouTube following? Do we do we ever make an offer there? Do you have any idea? Uh, yeah, she did not end up joining us. Oh, wow, that's miss. That's a misfire, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, for our opening topic. So, Michael, is it true you went to the University of Vermont? <laughs> uh, I, I went there for a year, yes. <laughs> so walk me through the thought process of going from where you lived and saying, the winter here is not cold enough. I want to move somewhere even colder. How did you choose Vermont? Oh, so I actually grew up in Vermont. I am a Vermonter. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so uh, <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> your research was flawed. No. <laughs> Poor Chris. Well I, know, well, I know you don't live in Vermont now. I didn't know where you grew up. I, I, I do not. So I uh, born and raised in Vermont. So sticking around and going to school there was, was easy. I, I went, lived about an hour away. Um, Texas is new. Uh, I've been here for about a year. Where at do you live in Texas? Uh, I am in Wichita Falls, so I'm about an hour and a half northwest of Dallas. Oh, right on. I haven't been. Is it pretty nice? Um, it's hot and dry. Not a whole lot different than where you are. I can dig that. Any mountains? Anything you go to? Do you have a bunch of land or are you in a little subdivision? Yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a subdivision in the city, if you want to call it a city. It's a small city. So Glenn prices. is actually near you. He could have just driven to your house and did the podcast I, I, from your house. I was going to say, Glenn's driving through Dallas. That's not far away. Freaking Glenn. All right. So so how popular is Ben and Jerry's up in Vermont? Uh, well, I mean, it's extremely popular. I've been to the factory a few times, done the tour multiple times. Um, really? You know, it was kind of nice growing up. We could get factory seconds at the store just like down the street. So you could get cheaper versions of pints, which was always nice. And you could end up with chocolate chip cookie dough. That was almost entirely cookie dough, only a little bit of ice cream, or you can end up with all vanilla ice cream and like a couple of chocolate chips. cookie dough. But, yeah. It's kind of a roll yeah. of the dice at that point. Yeah. I'm a fish food kind of guy, to be honest with you. Well, I, I fish food wasn't around at that point, you know, but it, it's good. What you meant to say was oh. that was your idea. You gave it to them. <laughs> good job. Totally. Yep. So I guess it was the opposite. So you lived in Vermont for a very long time and said, I don't want to live through these winters anymore. I'm going to move somewhere warmer. Yeah. So my wife was done with Vermont winters. Uh, Her sister lives here in Wichita Falls. So now we live right down the street from her sister. Can't shovel sunshine. Look at you. That's that's right. (laughs) Although, does it snow there, Michael, where you are? It it does a little bit. Not not so bad. Not a lot. I mean, so yes, so there is winter here but i mean nothing like vermont all right clarify yourself define hot and dry because i'm not believing you now well i mean so the entire month of july it was 105 to 115 every day all Uh, right that's hot that wins that's a dub (laughs) (laughs) i mean right now i think it's only in the 90s today it's it's cooled down since i got back from uh the world tour yeah same my lawn's green again Chris is like, it's hot here in San Francisco. And you're like, what is it? 71. I'm like, what the hell? 66. It's 66 today, and that's warm for a, this. A balmy 66. Are we in the same country, guys? I don't get it. Well, the, the good thing about living in Texas now, that if you need to get the snow out of your driveway or the pathway or whatever, you can use a flamethrower and melt it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I can just wait till tomorrow and it'll be gone. <laughs> so, so Michael, real quick, this on the, the whole topic of moving and all the good stuff. You don't have to divulge how old the children are, but did they are they okay with it? Was it a big move? Sounds like they're a little bit older. They they cared, um, but uh, COVID kind of presented an interesting option for us, and we actually had been living on the road uh, prior to buying this house. Uh, so we had a, a camper 
Like we had started with a 37 foot travel trailer upgraded to a 42 foot fifth wheel. And from basically the summer of 2020 until we settled into this house this past winter, we'd been up and down the East coast, more or less, um, wherever we wanted to be. Dang. Which was kind of cool. You live in my dream right there. My wife's not so much in the same dream. She doesn't want to be a part of that, but I like your, I like your style. <laughs> no van so life for her homeschooled, obviously, but yeah, no. Yeah. Definitely. No, no van life for my wife. <laughs> oh. Down by the river. Down yeah. by the river. That used to be an insult. Now it's a goal. I love it. It is. That's how the times have changed. All right. For our first topic, we usually do ransomware or cryptocurrency story of the week. But how about both? I thought <clears throat> I thought with the news of the Queen's passing and the death of the Clinton investigator Kenneth Starr, we should probably start our podcast up with a lighthearted story. Someone, and there's no solid attribution here invented a new service called Traffic Jams as a Service, T-J-A-A-S, T-J-A-S. Some clever hackers or just some bored teenagers used an Uber-like app to summon dozens of taxis to a busy part of downtown Moscow. <laughs> we don't know if they abused an API or just had dozens of phones or people order these cabs to come to the same location, but the resulting flood of taxi caused a major traffic jam and gridlock during rush hour. Now, it's pretty easy to detect this kind of abuse, so we will not see something like this again if the app developers are smart enough. But I like this out-of-the-box thinking just to cause mayhem for the Moscow elite. Well, here's the here's the real thing, and I think there's like a plot line of a movie in here somewhere, but you cause the chaos over here to do something ridiculously insane over here. So do we know? Is there anything like mission critical around there? Maybe the, the jewels in the safe that they evaded? I have no idea. Maybe it's by the headquarters of the FSB, and they were trying to break in. <laughs> was it really? <laughs> no, no, I don't know. I'm sure it's located in downtown Moscow somewhere. Smokescreen. Look at that. I'm telling you, something mm -hmm. Something actually, yeah. there wasn't a bunch of teenagers. This is full-blown. Like Ocean's Eleven heist. Yes. Absolutely. Or even yeah. just a couple of teenagers having a good time. Who knows? But it was in Russia, so we'll never know the truth. Yeah. Well, we'll know what the state media reports. But I did get some ideas for this for the next time I've got a lot of SEs together. Just call, <laughs> call a bunch of Ubers that come in the same spot. <laughs> Arby's 5 for 5 sale. I like it. We it's have Arby's. Oh, Arby's. Arby's. Yeah. Arby's. Got it. Did you know that if you uh, sleep in a trash can by Arby's, you just become the owner of that Arby's automatically? Damn. Is that so... I know what I'm doing when we're done. Yeah, but I'm out of here. I'm gonna re really, really regret that if, like, we currently have like an opportunity open with Arby's. <laughs> like, Brian, we heard you said. I'm like, oh man, I, my they wife loves the mozzarella cheese stick. Uh, the nearest one by me is probably 45 minutes away now. There used to be one maybe like six minutes away, and then they closed that one down. So I'm pretty far from the Arby's now. You don't you don't have the meats? I don't have the meats. I have an In-N-Out burger, though. Uh, I have it, too. He's he's probably more of a Whataburger, aren't you? I was going to say, I got Whataburgers. He has a mm. Whataburger. I don't get that. Like, my one of my buddies from SoCal, like, anytime we're near a Whataburger, and he's, like, he's like a young, fit dude. He's like, man, there's a Whataburger in town. I'm like, yeah? Like, it's so? Like, you know, what's the drive? He's like, we got to go eat it. I'm like, no, we don't. There's a lot, of, a lot of other options. Like, work's literally paying for this meal. We don't need to eat reheated meat, but for some reason, we always do. 
don't do it anywhere near as much as I used to, but uh, it, it's good, man. I don't know. I don't know what it is about it, but it's it's just good. I was like, before Dunkin' Donuts made it here to the West Coast, every time I fly to Chicago, I'd always have to stop by the Dunkin' Donuts in the United Terminal and get their iced coffee before I headed out. Yeah, I'm not coffee guys, so I don't get it either. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, really great coffee. I'm going to go try it tonight. If it's garbage, I'm coming to your house. Get the ice coffee. Pour it in your, I'm going to feed it to your rabbit. Have that thing humping everything. <laughs> Just a rabbit hyped up on caffeine. <laughs> All right. Anyways. All right. For our second topic, 70, 70, 77 episodes in. Maybe Michael, not so much, but Brian, you know me well. What are my two favorite types of stories to report on? Murder and crypto mining. So number one, stupid criminals. And number two, <laughs> hacking the hackers. Oh, dang so it. this this falls into the, the latter oh, for category. Two. Uh, cryptocurrency analytics firm Chain Analysis, who we do not give enough credit on to this podcast, but they do some amazing work. And they just did some amazing forensic accounting of North Korea's cryptocurrency thefts and was able to trace $30 million worth of stolen cryptocurrency to a hot wallet. That allowed the U.S. FBI to seize the stolen funds and eventually, probably after a couple of years, return them to the rightful owner, the developers of the Axe Infinity game. This only represents about 12% of the funds stolen, but as they say, 12% of something is better than 100% of nothing. The entire heist was over $620 million and one of the largest thefts of cryptocurrency so far. The FBI attributed the hack to the Lazarus Group of Sony Pictures, Bangladesh Bank Heist, and WannaCry fame. The money laundering process involves sending these stolen funds to over 12,000 legitimate Ethereum addresses, then sending it to Tornado Cash, which we talked about on a previous episode, converting the Ethereum to Bitcoin, running the Bitcoin through a mixer, and then sending the Bitcoin to their cash-out points. How Chain Analysis does this is nothing short of amazing, and they are keeping their tactics close to the vest. For the analysis shows that most of the stolen funds are unspent, sitting in wallets with options for cashing out the stolen funds, dwindling by the day. All I can think of when you say hot wallet is hot pockets. Hot so I'm pockets. a little distracted right now. But could you... Is that Jim Gaffigan? Uh, I don't know. Was it Was it him? I, I also heard something the other day, like a sloppy pocket. It's like a, a sloppy Joe inside like a... The bread of meat, like whatever, like kind of like a hot pocket, but with sloppy just sloppy pocket. That wouldn't be a bad idea. But can yeah. someone here, maybe Michael, if you know, can you explain what the hell a hot wallet is? I have, I've got no idea, but I'm I'm sure Chris can tell us. I'm stuck on sloppy pocket now. Sloppy pockets. <laughs> so a hot wallet is a wallet in which the funds are available online. Typically, when you transfer it to a exchange like Binance or Coinbase or one of the other foreign ones. Uh, that usually makes it vulnerable to seizure because these companies will respond to uh, court orders versus a cold wallet is where you send it to a wallet that's a QR code that's printed on a piece of paper and there's no way to, to seize that money. So this dum-dum lost $620 million ish because you've rather put it on a, on a hardware wallet? Uh, so the original way it was stolen. So it was, it was stolen on a... No, recovered, but it was stolen from the bad guy. I feel bad for the bad guy. He had so much money, now he's broke. 
No. So North Korea still has 590 million of it. They only recovered 30 million of the 620 million. Yeah. So they're keeping an eye on that 590 million to see when, if and when it ever gets cashed out. Gotcha. So chain analysis, you know how we say like follow the money? Like that's like a little saying and pretty pretty soon it'll be follow the coin, baby. Like that's just what we're going to do. You got to find, and I'm sure that's going to be a cluster F, but there's some accountant out there, or in this case, chain analysis, they're going to love doing it. But there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, that's a huge problem with cryptocurrency right now is the money laundering aspect. Of it. There's a lot of good uses for it, but there's a lot of negative uses for it as well for money laundering and stealing money and the like. So companies like Chainalysis keep honest people honest, I guess you could say. So Michael, how do you launder your Bitcoin? <laughs> well, I got to find a new way because Chainalysis is going to find me apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Did you lose it in a tragic boating accident? <laughs> That's Chris's go-to thing on anything. Yeah. I lost it in a tragic boating accident. They did. Unfortunately, Mr. IRS, the, the bitcoins were lost. Yeah, but, so the IRS can't track it if it's on a piece of paper, right? But they can track it if it's in, like, Coinbase. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, the by nature, the cryptocurrency is supposed to be... It's supposed to be anonymous. I, I'd say it's pseudo-anonymous. Uh, there are some anon- like truly anonymous coins, like Monero and Zcash. Those are... Uh, they're blockchain-based, but they're they make it a lot more difficult to track. But Bitcoin, with the stuff that Chain Analysis and some of the other companies are doing, it's pretty fascinating what, what they can do, that they can go back in time and actually look and see if there were people causing um, <clears throat> causing trouble even like 10 years ago or so. And you got to wonder if the statute of limitations ran out for some of these crimes people committed because everything's written on the blockchain for all of all of eternity. So do you think that they can do anything creative to figure out what the hell happened with Celsius? And was it Celsius and USD? Is that what it was? The USD coin, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, I, it was something too good to be true. You can't lend, you can't pay people 20% on their money and then lend it out for whatever ridiculous rate. That was a house of cards waiting to fall. Uh, what was interesting was the, there's a Netflix documentary about this uh, cryptocurrency uh exchange founder i can't remember the name of it I'll, I'll link it through in the show notes but basically he had like hundreds of millions of dollars of people's money it was like a, the only legitimate exchange in canada at the time and then he went on he went to india and he just died he just died and then his wife says i can't get into the laptop i don't have the private keys to get in the wallet so all the investors everybody that had money they just basically lost their money and then there's more to the story which they go into detail in, in the documentary i won't spoil it for you but something like that is more of like an exit scam, like a true exit scam. I think Celsius just got in over their head and it was a bad business plan. But there are some really genuinely shady exchanges out there. I thought there was some sort of pump and dump, like someone from Wall Street realized that there's a big flaw in there and they did something wonky. Is that not true? Uh, that's true for some of the like the decentralized finance, the DeFi platform attacks. Like mm-hmm. the Axe Infinity was a DeFi platform attacks. There's you know flash loan attacks. There's... There's a company just this week, the developers unfortunately leaked the private key to their smart contract and some guy just minted like millions of dollars worth of Ethereum for himself using the smart contract. So there's, there's rife, it's rife for abuse. And there's actually a website that tracks this. I think it's web3isgoinggreat.com, something like that. And then it lists <laughs> like 
how many billions of dollars were lost on these DeFi platforms using Web3? So the reality right behind any cryptocurrency is that we we look at it through the lens of I you know I want to do be anonymous behind the money that I have invested into this thing. The long and short of it is at this point in time like if you want to buy Bitcoin, you're not going to like stand up a mining server because that's economically just doesn't make any sense. So you're going to have to buy that from somewhere, right? And then there's the paper trail immediately. You're probably going to go out to Coinbase or something like that. And by the time any other cryptocurrency becomes popular, for the general public, there's gonna there will always be a paper trail, right? Like I, I think there will be a handful of people that are outliers, and they will be anonymous. But I think in in large, there will be some way to marry this wallet to anonymous stuff that's going on. And that's the agree plus side. So the plus side no, I, of I agree. Good, Michael. No, I I agree. I think that's I think that's spot on. I, I mean, it's I kind of joined the cryptocurrency game way late and. Yeah, all of mine is through systems like Coinbase. So, I mean, mine's all entirely trackable. None of it's, you know, anonymous whatsoever, like probably most of the people out there now. And, and as the KYC rules get better, the know your customer rules get better, I think that further dwindles the outlets that North Korea can use to launder it because there was another shady exchange, BTCE. The owner of that one got arrested because he was laundering money illegally for. Uh, the Russian ransomware gangs. So as those get arrested, those shut down, the know your customer protocols get better. They're going to have a lot more trouble laundering that money unless you know China starts accepting Bitcoin for payments of you know, coal or whatever they buy from China. What I don't understand, going back to just... Missile Celsius technology. And, <laughs> yeah, what I don't understand is anything. How are babies made? <laughs> like, seriously, guys. <laughs> um, like, we, we work with some really smart people that went in on Celsius and USD. And I remember them telling me about it. I was like, man, it sounds like if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. And if they were forthcoming about what they actually were talking about, I think they lost a lot of freaking money. And that makes me sad. It is. It is just like, you know, Bernie Madoff and any, any other kind of Ponzi scheme. It's, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, if I miss out on those 20% returns, like, you know, there's no skin off my back. I'm like, I would congratulate you, but yeah, that that seems just a little too risky for me. It, it just takes that one event, that one that you you take the bottom card out of the house of cards, the whole thing falls down. Is yeah, the twenty percent returns annually? That's completely unsustainable. We've talked right. this to death. Next topic. <laughs> All right, for our third topic, it's been a while since we got our good. Cyber crosses into the real world story. Ukrainian hackers have been baiting Russian troops into revealing their locations with fake profiles of attractive women using fake Facebook and Russian social media accounts. The actual f- term for this, I don't think we could say it on the podcast without getting explicit tag, but it's it's called honey ding with the D representing the male part. But I guess the new PC term is honey trapping. So forget Dorsal for all the... Sorry, go on. <laughs> Forget Geraldo Rivera giving up troop locations on live TV and getting people killed. A Ukrainian cybersecurity company called Hack Control, who is at least partially behind the campaign, they trick Russian troops into sending selfies of themselves, and if they have poor OPSEC, the GPS coordinates of the image are embedded in the EXIF data in the photo. 
These coordinates are then turned over to the Ukrainian army, who bombed the Russian base off the intelligence from the soldiers' selfies. Damn dog. That's messed up. I know, or I'm pretty confident that Instagram and Facebook removed the exit, or X, is it, no, it's this. Exif. Exif stuff out of the the headers and all that good stuff to, to make it anonymous. But yeah, I mean, like if you're some soldier and you're you're on Russian Tinder, like what, what a great bait and switch, man. That was awesome. I mean, not great that anyone died, but pretty creative. Though. I'll give it to him. Yeah, when all else fails. <laughs> when all else fails, you know, <laughs> think outside the box, think, think creatively. I, I, I think they, I think the way it worked was like they, started the conversation on you know tinder or whatever app they use on facebook and then says hey give me your number i'll i'll text you directly and then i think when uh, you do like direct messaging through texting or imessage or whatever i think it does not remove the exif or the metadata off it or they say you know upload it to this file sharing site or something that where they know they can get that data does signal remove it or do they keep it in there i'm pretty sure signal removes it there's definitely some deception going on in there with like honeypots that's what I. That's what I hear. Yeah, it's spycraft. Low tech, but highly effective. Oh, you know what? Be oh, this is what they should have done. Hey, honey, send me the picture of you. It comes in. Manipulate the EXIF data on the photo that I send back to her, and watch them blow themselves up. There is a Russian spy on our premises. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Got to hack the hacker, guys. Come on. Think out loud. There you go. <laughs> oh. Dude, th- there was one point in time I was working for another company, and uh, they had an issue. It wasn't really an issue as it was a, a, a crazy business event. It was like over the weekend, we have 500,000 new uh, subscribers, not subscribers, or users uh, to our platform, which is a lot. And then they go in there, and they're like, it's kind of weird that they all look identical and it was like a dating app and they were just flooding people with messages. So like every single woman was, you know, white chick, blonde hair, blue eyes, uh, with some sort of weird name that was doing it. So uh, long story short, they had found out that there, they had cracked like some sort of layer seven attack to just to kind of brute force and create all of these hundreds of thousands of accounts to, to do it. And the writing on the wall, like if this we will pick on, Tinder and Hinge because it was neither one of those companies. But it'd be like, think about the business model. Be like, hey, you know, why would you go on Tinder if it's nothing but a bunch of bots? Because you know, like everyone that's talking to you, is, it looks exactly the same, right? So I think, it, I think it was literally that. I think that somebody was like the the opposite company was fighting against them. But I could be wrong. Makes sense. Be some pretty good, uh, some pretty good uh, spy work there. Exactly. It's like poisoning the well, right? High fidelity people on our program. I still think that they should just, yeah, just respond back with phony stuff. Oh man, you what? Oh my god, think about this. You put it in there and you just like, boom, White House coordinates, right? Like, boom, like World War Three starts out of nowhere. <laughs> like, this is a terrible idea. You have to edit this all out. <laughs> just right. <laughs> manipulate the exif data and put it there. There's actually a related story to that. We're not going to get to it today because I really want to talk about story number. Four, but in a future episode, uh, there's just to give a preview to our listeners. There's a pr- hilarious story from my perspective, not so hilarious to the the victims of this, and you'll you'll find out why. That has to do with uh, coordinates and uh, how the internet uh, traces IP addresses. So, preview for a future story. I'm waiting with bated breath. 
What about you, Michael? You excited? Uh, totally. Yeah. I'm I'm super. I'm gonna hold my breath excited. until it happens. If I pass out and die, it's your fault. <laughs> <sighs> All right, give up. <laughs> All right, for the first time in 77 episodes, we had to, and I quote Brian. A story too risky for the PebCAC podcast, and we were actually asked not to publish a story. So we are recording a new topic number four, this time with Glenn. Who asked us not to publish? None of your business, all right? Wow. This should be be played at high volume, preferably (laughs) in a residential neighborhood. You guys remember that's from? Oh, uh, that sounds so familiar. Is it Beastie Boys? No, Dr. Dre, The Chronic. The, there you the go. Chronic. I think the song was called Lyrical Gangbang. <laughs> I could be wrong. <laughs> we could have a whole bunch of people like uh, looking that up now. There's going to be a whole bunch of searches just for that. Yeah, so as, as everyone's listening, you're trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Where, the, where did Michael go and why is Glenn here? We are literally recording in the middle of the night. So Chris yeah. can do all the post-editing in the background to get this podcast out on time and compliant exactly because when we open the show we say we got four awesome stories for you so if we came up with three stories a lot of questions would have been asked so we gathered the group together at the only time we're all available and we're recording story number four for you guys all right here we go let's do it at some glad to be on (laughs) at some point we have the audio. I think we'll try to release it as a bonus episode in the future but just right now we cannot release it the forbidden episode. Beep, beep, bleep, bleep, bleep. For our fourth topic, and it will be a rotating topic every week, this week we're going to talk about an unfortunate set of coordinates here in the U.S. It requires a bit of setup, so bear with us. There are several databases available on the internet that allow you to geolocate an IP address. That is, if you have an IP address, you can figure out approximately where it is in the world based on registration records and some information held by ICANN. Sometimes that data is gathered through open source intelligence gathering or OSINT. Some is gathered from companies like Google and Apple when you connect to your Wi-Fi networks. Well, that is super unfortunate for a 360-acre farm in Potwin, Kansas, and let me tell you why. There's a single farmhouse on this land where renters live. For the last decade, the owners and renters have been accused of being identity thieves, spammers, scammers, fraudsters, cheaters, and they've been visited by organizations like the US FBI, federal marshals, IRS collectors, ambulances searching for suicidal veterans, and police officers searching for runaway children. In short, they've been treated like criminals for just no explicable reason. IP geolocation is an art, and it's not always 100% accurate. Sometimes an IP address gets reported to the wrong country, or in the case where the country is known, but the exact location is not, one particular database puts the location right in the geographic middle of the country. Unfortunately for this farmhouse in Potwin, Kansas, it is close to the exact center of the United States. Um, when law enforcement asks companies like Facebook and Google for the IP address of a suspect or a person of interest, the geolocation database returns the farmhouse in Potwin because the exact location is not known, so it defaults to the center of the country. 
there are actually about 600 million IPv4 addresses that are registered to the farmhouse. So if any nefarious activity happens on just one of these IP addresses, guess who's getting a visit? After the story was published and the journalists reached out to the geolocation database company, they moved their default U.S. location to the middle of a lake. So hopefully no one goes there looking for a cheating spouse or an enemy made through online gaming. That's crazy. I, uh, I want to think, it, is it Bright Cloud maybe? And then is it, what is, what's the other IP look? It's like Maximus or Maximum? Maxmind. Yeah, Maxmind, Maxmind is Maxmind. a popular one. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I think, I think the Bright Cloud one used to give like GPS coordinates as well down to like the, the street level or province, which is pretty crazy. So I guess it's not that great. And if you're paying for it, this is what happens. Who, who wouldn't know? Like that's the most common thing ever, right? Is that uh, that's pretty well known that those those are like the default location for so many addresses. Like how how could you not know that isn't what it is? Well, it's all these law enforcement agencies. They just get an IP address. They say where is this located? They get an address in Kansas, and then they send units there. But. Now, now that I think it's more publicized, maybe they might know a little bit more. And as these agencies get a little more tech savvy, they might know. But if you get an IP address and you get a physical address, then sometimes that's just enough for for people. I'll tell you I what. If, so, yeah, I guess uh, if they ever d- deem this little farmhouse is like always a false positive, I guess good for them. There's nothing wrong. Like no, no more false positives, but. On the flip side, I guess this is a perfect place to go create a or commit a crime. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's actually the local sheriff's department. So the local sheriff's was aware of it. So anytime they got a call that said we need some assistance, go up to this farmhouse. There's crime going on there. The sheriff would know. Was like, no, no, let me explain what what's going on here. And then they actually put a sign at the end of the property that says. You know, if you came here because you traced my IP address, you know, call the local sheriff. He'll explain to you why you're what what you're looking for is not here. But it's law enforcement, right? It's not, it's not like they don't have a hey. If something comes up with this address, it's, there should be like a bolo, like not bolo, but like a, a some type of some type of update for everyone to know that that's not a not the real address. Some kind of red flag. Like, in the database yeah. Yeah. i guarantee though like everyone errs on the side of caution like if it is like a suicidal veteran right i guarantee yeah. there's like well i mean we could just ignore it or we can just go check it out just to be safe but by the way that that town guess guess what the population is 200 is it? So, uh, i just googled it, it was 707 i don't know if it's it a pretty was... good size 707 people that's a good size to you <laughs> that's better than 100 i guess so but i mean yeah you wouldn't think some kind of organized crime ring is being run out of a town of 707 people meth yeah. lab i would think organized crime <laughs> not so much but even... unless you're, you're it unless it's that mcdonald's thing where everybody was in on it from that town right oh the monopoly scam yeah yeah. I don't know if it was was it a whole town or was it just the guy's like family tree? I thought it was like everybody was in on it, so or or yeah, it could have been. 
But it, it could be one of those towns where everybody is from the same family tree. Could be, yeah, very true. So how did but, they actually figure out, like, who did the, the correlation on this? Like, I mean, how many times did they have to get raided before somebody's like, dude, I'm figuring it out. Like, it just just so happens that there's 600 million IPs, or, yeah, 600 million IPs associated with your house right here, and you're just the bad guy. So according to the story that we'll link through in the show notes, they mm-hmm. said that the people living at the farmhouse could not figure out why they kept getting raided until the journalist called them and said, hey, by the way, did you know you have 600 million IP addresses registered to your location? And they're like, okay, this is starting to make a lot of sense. For, I think like 10 years, like 10 years, they didn't know why they were getting raided and death threats and all the, everything in between until this journalist put two and two together for them. Can we do a reverse lookup right now? Can you take the GPS coordinates and put it plug you know plug it into something and see if it spits back an IP address located or associated with them? You think all six hundred million? Like how do you even do that? There's some database. I I think it might belong to MaxMind where you could say where are the physical locations with the most IP addresses registered to them. And oh, okay, number one is Potwin, Kansas, or wherever they moved it to in the middle of the, the lake. Number two is actually, it, it, this is all linked in the article, but it's a, it's some dude's house in, I think it's in Virginia. I don't know if it's like Arlington or Alexandria. It's, it's some guy that lives in a cul-de-sac in Alexandria because many of our listeners may or may not know this. Uh, Virginia is data center alley. So all of Washington DC's like the department of defense, everyone who's set up in Washington DC their DR center, their disaster recovery center is set up in a place in Virginia. Uh, and there's some stat, like it's the highest concentration of servers anywhere in the world because that location in Virginia is technically outside the blast radius. So if Washington DC gets nuked, this city in Virginia would survive and that's their DR site for their servers. And same thing there. If it's not, if the IP address is geolocated to the city in Virginia, mm-hmm but it's not precise, it geolocates to this dude's house. So same thing, he gets raided by SWAT, he gets IRS people coming after him, he has people knocking on his door asking if you know, he's there's a cheating spouse in here. That's awesome. So if it's not you know, the middle of the country, if they can locate it to the city, but not the exact location, then it pinpoints this, this guy's house. So he has like maybe 20 million IP addresses registered yeah. to his house. So, so there was this... Um... There was this uh, program or application or, or company called Solera. I don't know if you guys remember that. Solera Networks. They did the uh, PCAP forensics or PCAP capturing. And they had a dashboard where they could do... Uh, actually, the company was bought by Bluecoat, which was then bought by Symantec. And I only know because I worked there. But they had a dashboard. That bought by Broadcom. The, yeah, bought by Broadcom. <laughs> and it could give you like geolocation of where the connections were coming from or where users were at when they browse. And there was always this big dot, like in the middle of either the Atlantic ocean next to uh, Africa or the Pacific ocean, or maybe it was, maybe that was it. Maybe it was this house in Kansas. I've got got to go look at that, but it was always like, why is there this big dot in the middle of the U S and this other big dot in the middle of the Atlantic ocean? Maybe uh, that was not middle, but to the, you know, just left of Africa. So maybe that was it too. We should go look at the one for Africa. If it's in the middle of the ocean, I can see like somebody could say, well, 
there's obviously nobody running a scam center out of the middle of the ocean, but if it actually points to a farmhouse, like that's slightly more believable. Hey, yeah. Be yeah. right back. We just found Atlantis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or so it's a lost city of gold, El Dorado. <laughs> that's funny. Someone's already a 419 scam out of El Dorado or Atlantis. Cracking up. Hey, so the next time you guys are like traveling across the uh, country, you can literally go to the ge- geographical center, the lower 48 st- states in uh, historic downtown Lebanon, Kansas. So you guys can go check it out. They actually have like a little flag and some really questionable art there. <laughs> I mean, I think I could do better. And I think you can get married there. It looks like there's a little, there's a, there's literally a, church and it's got a one lectern and then six seats so there you go speaking of uh funny things like it you know this location have you guys ever looked to see funky things on like google earth or google maps and see you know like street view yeah street view but i've actually gone like and go yeah i've done things like you know go visit another country without necessarily going there like i visited the great wall just from above, you know, from whatever satellite pictures there are. I think I think that's pretty cool. You'll be arrested on site if you step foot into China. Is that why you had to virtually tour it? <laughs> yeah. Why well, I, I love my I love my life, right? So yeah. I think the, uh, the first time I came across that, it was actually called Microsoft Terraform. I believe is what they had, and I, I remember I was just blown away that they had satellite imagery. And then not too long after that came out Google Earth, and I'm just I I would. I wasted hours of my life just clicking on stuff and looking around and I can only imagine mm-hmm. how much cooler it looks now. I remember going to the Grand Canyon. I did the Great Fire uh, the Great Firewall. The, uh, the Great Wall of China. <laughs> you visited Cisco's headquarters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've I've done um I've done Paris. I've gone back to Paris and just looked around. So I think it's pretty cool. I remember when Google Maps, or not Google, but when Google Maps First, it was the generic outlines of the buildings. And then the real breakthrough was the satellite imagery of mm-hmm. overlaying it. I remember there was a, I forgot what website, it might have been Reddit or Dig or one of those old websites, but people were like scouring these satellite images looking for um, <clears throat> like topless women sunbathing on the roofs of their houses <laughs> <laughs> because. It was so new. There's you know Google satellite, and people weren't aware of things like that. And Google didn't yeah. care at that time. They didn't blur things, and like that that was their goal. They just scoured these rooftops looking for people sunbathing. Speaking of which, have have you guys? I, mean, I take it you guys have looked at your houses, right? On on Google, kind of find out where you live. Well, for some of us, anyways. But I I and for some reason I did not know. But did you know you could blur out? You could have uh, Google blur out your house on purpose. Yes. No. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a privacy concern. You have to give them a reason why and 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 the concern. So. Yeah. When when we were house hunting, we would do that because we had some requirements for the house hunting. Like, we have to live on a street that actually has a sidewalk. Like that was just one of the requirements. We didn't want to have to walk in a dirt yeah. path or, or anything. So we would Google Earth or uh, Google Street View these houses before we go look at them, and then sometimes there'd be a blurred out house. Just like you said, either the house we were looking at was blurred out or the neighbor was blurred uh-huh. out. And we're like, why is the house blurred out? Like, where are they trying to hide there? But like you said, if yeah. you put in the request and you have some type of justification, Google Street View will blur it out for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
on mine it was my garage was open so i put in the thing it's like hey my garage is open i want you guys to to blur all that out and they did so you i thought just the really garage cool. or everything I, I asked them to blur out the garage and the number on my house which i think they already did anyway but i wanted them to blur out the garage for sure so yeah so by the way it's Going back to my comment about what Microsoft released, it was called the Microsoft Terra Server, not Terraform. So I think I may have gotten uh, infrastructure as a code. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little confused in my, uh, my map techniques. I just can't believe that there's a publication from 1998 that's still available on Microsoft.com that talks about it. Yeah, so I'm going to read directly from the website. So the Terra Server demonstrates the scalability of Microsoft's Windows NT server and SQL server running on Compact Alpha Server 8400 and StorageWorks hardware. Amazing. Wow. Let's see it. I'll just view publication and download Bibtex. I didn't want to. But all right. Well, that's pretty crazy. Oh, and the one thing I forgot to mention, so since we have a second chance to talk about things from the show, uh, our guest, Michael Schwinnard, he's from Vermont, Zscaler. We actually have one employee that works in Vermont. It's not Michael. And that one employee got a letter from the Vermont uh, Board of Equalization, you know, their, their taxation company that says, uh, you are the nexus of business for Zscaler in Vermont, and therefore we need a bunch of paperwork from you and... All this stuff. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> he is our official nexus of operations in Vermont is his house. All right. Well, cool. You said nexus what of operations? It? Yeah. So he is he's the token nexus of operations guy. In Vermont, yeah. In Vermont. Wow. All right. Yeah. Yeah, bef before the whole tax law on the internet changed, the, the definition was if you have a nexus of operation in the state, then you have to pay sales tax. But now that that lawsuit has passed and just tax everywhere, it doesn't matter. But he is our official nexus of operations, our one single employee that works in Vermont. Wow. Goals. All right. That's cool. Does it mean anything? Does he get taxed differently? Does Z-Skiller get taxed differently? No, he, he just has a whole bunch of paperwork to forward to our accounting department. He doesn't want to have to deal with that. Wow. Gotcha. By the way, right. uh, we'll talk about this on a later episode, but I, I noticed today that uh, I cannot receive FaceTime calls when in lockdown mode. Oh. Yeah. I think you have to qualify that. I think it's you cannot receive FaceTime calls from someone you have never initiated a call with. I think that's the lockdown or, mode feature. Or, or maybe not inside of your contacts list? No. So I, I was literally on the phone with... Uh, my buddy and then he's like hey i'm gonna try to facetime you and it did not work let me double check this right, i'm fact checking brian right now maybe uh maybe it just happened it was like a weird event where i got off the phone with him and then he sent someone else tried to call me all right the number ends in 5047 let me see if this aligns with uh who called me or was trying to call me yeah 5047. What are you doing? I'm trying to FaceTime you, Brian. Are you, is it coming through? Nope. Nope. Uh, it says lock time, uh, lockdown mode, block FaceTime. Hmm. Yeah, that's me. Hmm. All right. So there's, 
there's problems I, with the uh, well i shouldn't say i'm okay i don't really want to face them anyone anyways but i'm digging <laughs> lockdown mode we'll be talking about it next week i bet but just wanted to yeah. share that with you guys a little I think if, so I, I think so you have initiated a facetime call with me but not while in lockdown mode so i think if you if you initiate a call to me then i have free reign to to call you back but since you've never initiated a call with me during facetime then i think that's that's the problem you mean during lockdown mode yeah exactly you never initiate a call with me during lockdown mode but how wild is that like that that means that at some point in time there was some type of vulnerability associated with fa- with facetime right there was that one where the camera remotely there was there was before. yeah 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 exactly yeah. yeah so it's exactly what they were trying to block yeah, to Other Apple's than, credit, they blocked it on the server side really, really quickly, and they patched it. But yeah, yeah. they don't want to take any chances. That's one of the avenues they get in. Are the are the three of us all on lockdown mode, or just me right now? I'm not. I'm going to. I'm going to be. I'm going to try it out. So, just you. Like and you. when we talk about it, I'll get into the reasons why. But there's one particular feature I need that gets blocked on lockdown mode. So for right now, I'm not going to do it. But Maybe soon. I'm, I'm curious if I'm going to come across that same feature in desperate need. We'll find out. More on that later. All right. I guess we should close it out. All right. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. Glad I was able to make it for part of it, at least. Yeah. It's so great having you here. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program already in progress. We continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest Michael is up. All right. So I mentioned earlier, my kids are homeschooled. You know, uh, they've been doing a, a, a particular subject for the last week or so, uh, temperature and, and climate. And so I kind of pulled this one based off what I've been overhearing outside my office walls all week. So what's the difference between weather and climate? You can't weather a tree, but you can climb it. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. Womp, oh, as, womp, womp. Yeah, as Glenn would say, womp womp. We miss you, Glenn. By the way, the only reason why Glenn's on the podcast today is because I had a conflict. We moved it and then he wasn't able to do it. So I'm the jerk. We should have had Glenn here. I'm sorry, Glenn. Yeah. Well, I thought about saying when you moved it, I couldn't join either, but I didn't want poor Chris to have to say, and we had another last minute cancellation. Mm, true. <laughs> well, so Michael, welcome to the uh, Circle of Trust. We're at the rope you in on all the cool things that we talk about throughout the day. All right. Sounds good. Yep. Welcome, Michael. Very exclusive club. All right. Now I'm a little scared. But <laughs> we'll get you I'm a members-only <laughs> jacket, too. Oh, there we go. I got to have the jacket. All right. To wrap things up, turns out there is country music at Burning Man. The French refused to surrender for once. The Ukrainian Electronic Army invented traffic jams as a service. The FBI recovers $30 million worth of stolen cryptocurrency from North Korea. Be careful of getting catfished on Russian dating sites. That's all I have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Thank to all our listeners and subscribers who rate us five, tar- five stars in the iTunes store and Spotify and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PepCac podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and our guest Michael Schwinnard, I'm Chris Louie. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next weekend. As always, have a nice day. Bye, guys.